What do you think, James? Are you and your goatee ready to go now? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Uh, ready to take... goatee. All right. <laughs> Are we already recording? Uh-huh. Are y'all ready? Uh-huh. Okay. Hell, and welcome to Circle Talk, a podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions. We are your host. Hi, I'm Josie, a high priestess and coven leader near Melbourne, Australia. Hi, I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the US. Hi, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. And I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens around the globe. Listeners are reminded that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is an impossible thing to do. This is episode 29. If this is your first episode, welcome. You may want to take a moment to pause this and go back to listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, introduction, and episode one, definitions, or check them out after you enjoy this one. So today we're talking about ethics. Um, within Wicca, this is often described as uh, including discussion around two ethical ideas, uh, and it harm none, do what you will, uh, the Wiccan read, and references to the threefold law. However, neither of these is held terribly deeply. Um, they're not hard and defined facts uh, across the Wicca. Um, so with that said, get on the broom and let's go, witches. Any topic idea where you have put religious studies terms, you're going to have to introduce because you mean something specific and we will just talk about them. So FYI, that's like one, two, three. I didn't put any. <laughs> Those are all just like things I talk about in my ethics class. Well, you same. Um, so what do we mean by ethics? How does that relate to morality? Um, are they the same thing? Are they different? You know, that way we kind of have a baseline as we're going through our discussion today. Morality um, and ethics. I'm hesitant to speak because I, I'm not sure that I have like a textbook definition, but ethics would be more like a system of rules and morality is more like a personal understanding of like how to implement. No, that one is wrong. I got a thumbs up for ethics folks, but I'm getting a sort of question mark face from James on morality, which is why I said you should define these things because you went to school. I was studying how apes evolved into humans. We did not cover morality and ethics in my anthropology classes. My, my religion classes also covered the whole apes thing, but not from the Christian standpoint. They were like, oh, now we're going to talk about science. Did you measure? Oh, it was that's... great. Okay, well, <laughs> so so ethics is kind of a, a defined standard. Um, you know, that's why when they say, hey, uh, business ethics or professional ethics or anything like that, there's a defined ethical standard. Um, individuals can have ethics if you've taken your morality, your own sense of right and wrong, etc., and then codified that, defined defined it out. Um, so, with that said. How do we, as the Wicca, approach morality versus ethics? 
I think uh, one of the fights that I find, not fights, debates, arguments that I most often have to have with people is whether or not you have to be religious, first of all, to have a set of morals, right? And whether or not you have to be Christian or have like a, a written down, a codified um, set of values in order to be a moral person, right? A good person. Um, and I think that, you know, it's very clear to me that there are some universal um, human understandings of of morals, right? That just gut instinct we feel are sort of wrong, right? We we all agree. Well, unfortunately, we don't all agree, but most sane and rational people agree that rape is wrong. Most sane and rational people agree that murder is wrong, even though sometimes we might U.S. politics might. No, murder is wrong for sure. Justify. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> murder is wrong for sure. Um, and that's gut instinct stuff, right? So there are things that we just like automatic. You hear it, you sort of cringe, and I think that those hold true in Wicca as well, right? Anything that um, incest, right? Wrong. Um, assaulting children, wrong. I know I'm being kind of like really extreme here. Stealing from other people, wrong. Stealing from the rich probably questionable like maybe um but we hold all of those same things right if if morals are gut instinct things and we are still human beings then we still hold all of those same moral principles as everyone else and i think the question becomes when are things trained into us that feel like their gut instinct right so for example um Certainly not all all Wiccans are polyamorous, but in my experience, Wiccans tend to be more open with stuff like polyamory, alternative, certainly alternative sexualities, alternative lifestyle choices, because it's not hurting other people. And so because of that, you know, we tend to take a stance of like, if it's not hurting other people, it's not immoral. Right. But I like how you pointed out that it's not a universal codified of the Wicca professional ethic. I think that we can accept as individuals there are people within the wider pagan sphere that that do things like we can accept that they might not align to our own personal ethics and our own personal morality but we 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 can definitely accept that there are people within wicca and witchcraft that might do a but then another person might be like oh no I'm not going to do that because that doesn't align with how I feel and I think even though it doesn't necessarily align with what we feel and how we would go about doing something. As long as we can kind of accept that, then from my point of view, that's okay. You know, I'm not in into a polyamorous relationship. I've never been to polyamory, but there are people who practice Wicca and witchcraft and general pagans as well that that do that. And that's that's fine. That's fine for them. That's and I, I, it goes back to that, like, it's not universally accepted. Not all people will do the same thing. And I think it really boils down to, can you clear this with your own conscience? Can you can you say, yep, yeah, that's fine, because whenever we cast a spell or we work magic or we perform ritual, in our minds, it might be to the benefit of one person or one group or one thing. But on the flip side, there's always going to be some kind of trade-off as well. And what's good for one thing might be bad maybe is another word for something else so i think as long as you can clear something with your your own conscience then 
I'm all for saying, yeah, go for it. If you can say, yeah, that's fine, then go for it. So I was going to talk about it a bit later, but you, you kind of touched on it a little bit. There's the the idea of, uh, it's called a mores. It's the uh, cultural uh, ideas or of values or what the values that are central to a culture. And you kind of pointed out how it is a common feature amongst the Wicca to be fairly tolerant of various approaches to life and beliefs, etc. And so with that, it looks like one of our mores would be tolerance, just possibly. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, you know, even though you might get 10 Wiccans in a room and you end up with 20 different opinions, we can all agree that we are generally an accepting bunch of people. And, you know, I might like, I don't know, this kind of like a lemon cheesecake, somebody else might like a strawberry cheesecake kind of thing. But we can all accept, like we can all accept that we we like different things. And the and cheesecake that is amazing. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, even though I might like a lemon one and you might like a strawberry one, it's still cheesecake. I mean, to link back to one of our previous episodes, let's not get into the discussion about what is a pizza. What goes on a pizza? What's the pizza base? We all love pizza, right? I don't think I've ever come across anybody in my entire life that doesn't like pizza. But we are an accepting bunch of people. And, you know, and again, to link back to one of our previous episodes where we, where we spoke about um, being skyclad, being naked, however you want to kind of term it, there might be people that are not done with that. But there are definitely people within the BTW sphere that that are. And it brings us back to that leveler. Like one of the reasons that we practice SkyCloud is because you could you could show up in the tux. I think I said that the last time as well. You could show up in the tux, you could show up in jeans and t-shirt, you could show up in a vest, you could show up in whatever. But it's it's that leveler and it's that acceptance of of who we are as well. I mean, I feel like it would be I would be remiss to not point out that of course we don't that there are some very outspoken people who are not tolerant right that they also exist within the group and um or like within the larger the larger tradition and while in in many societies people who um go against accepted social mores are like shunned or sort of like pushed out of the group or we don't as we've said many times we don't have a central authority we don't we at least on this podcast are not in the business of pointing at people and going, you're not Wiccan because you refuse to be tolerant. Like we don't take away people's initiatory status just because they're being assholes, you know, but so the, the group, the, the tradition has no way of dealing with people who don't uphold what social mores we have, such as being tolerant um, except for other like more people to say more loudly if we can. No, actually, we don't think that way. No, actually, most of us are quite tolerant and so on and so on. Um, so I do think that's worth pointing out that, it, you know, we can never offer a universal about anything. Um, I think there's maybe a couple ideas that that we could get pretty close to universal on, but unfortunately, tolerance is not one of them. No, and I, and I agree. Um, and that's where you get deviance. So although you get the general population kind of falls over here you're gonna have some who aren't in that circle on the venn diagram um so it sounds to me like it's it's all very personal um with the way we're we're talking about it so are we saying that uh, ethics are subjective as opposed to 
objective, so on and so forth. I would like to, before we move on past morality and ethics, to see if we could outline any things that we think are universal. And I would like start by taking the easiest one, which is you don't charge to teach the craft, right? We don't accept money to teach Wicca. You might you might accept money to teach a tarot class. That's your business. You might accept money to do Reiki. That's your business. But we don't charge money to teach Wicca, Alexandrian, Gardnerian, et cetera, et cetera, craft. I think that's pretty close to universal rule. Do we think there are any others? Is the sex thing too controversial? I think anyone who's asking for sex for someone to be initiated, I'd say that's pretty universal as well, that we don't do that. But are we going to get into trouble for only defining ourselves by what we don't do? I feel like that's dangerous. Oh, James is grinning his grin. Do it face. Yeah, so for me, it's ethics are kind of like your your compass that point towards your your north star of morality if morality is my ideal of how i want to engage in the world ethics or what point me towards that i think some of that is uh we don't do blank i think some of it is also and you do blank and i say that because i go out of my way to do some things if i run across particular situations um i'm the guy that i don't care that the homeless guys might go blow his money on booze. I'm giving him money because I have decided that I prefer to do that. It is a thing I have chosen to do as opposed to not do. And I've done the the personal reflection. Um, And we're going to get a lot into the back and forth on on some of that as as we're going through this, I think. Um, Because some of it is subjective. Some of it is subjective. Um, Some of it is definitely situational. Um, morality shifts depending on what situation you're in. You know, the theft is wrong. But if I see a hungry guy stealing food, no, I didn't. So, yeah, all of that. So maybe it's if you're talking about a whole bunch of different people, I think it's it's easier to point to things we don't do. Well, especially without breaking our oaths, I suppose. I was sitting here trying to think of things that we do do morally, all of us as Wiccan. But I think they're just like not necessarily because we're yeah, because because we're good people, you know. Like I think one of the things that p- would probably define lots of us is that we don't just initiate and then let you go off on your own into the wild. And there's like zero aftercare kind of thing. I would say that ninety nine point nine percent of us recurring would initiate and then have some sort of aftercare before we get completely into training. You know, I think it would be unethical for us to initiate willy-nilly left right and center and they'd be like yeah off you go kind of thing you're done i would like to say that that is possibly one of the universals that we all share as as initiates of british traditional witchcraft and wicca that we have some sort of system in place that will allow us to carry that i don't know good vibes forward maybe yeah i'll I'll stick with good vibes after initiation we make sure that the initiate is okay that the person is okay and then we kind of carry the path on. Yeah, because we've talked about it in other episodes about an initiation being like a very life-changing experience in some way or another. And in this day and age of Wicca, it's important that we that we maintain that and recognize that, I think. Yeah. So do we want to circle back around to subjective versus objective? I think so. I think so. Like I think a lot of our ethics will change as our practice deepens. And over time, our ethics will change 
to possibly like wider accepted social norms. But I think a lot of our ethics are subjective, being based on and influenced by your own personal feelings and and your own personal history. And I and I don't think that's a that's necessarily a bad thing because at the end of the day we're all human and we are gonna change our ethics and our and our kind of like moral compass depending on like on the on the situation. You know, if I if I do I don't know, a love spell or a money spell. Like they 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 are the big ones that come out, right? It's like love love and money. Like, oh you know, you can't do a love spell because then you're encroaching upon somebody else's free will or if you cast this money spell, you know, you might be taking that money away from somebody else who actually really needs it. But then, you know, different slants on on the same thing with a money spell. Maybe work towards bettering your career and, and bettering you as a person and opening up to those opportunities where you might be offered more money for the same job you're doing. You know, there's nothing stopping you from possibly going and asking for some sort of review with, with your bosses. You know, I'm doing this and a colleague isn't and we're on the same same pay kind of thing. You know, there's there's always different slants, but instead of just going for, yeah, gods, I want more money. And then all of a sudden you've maybe taken an opportunity away from somebody else. Work on, work on you about opening yourself up to, to bigger and better opportunities. And I'm almost certain that in previous podcasts, we've said that, you know, you work on the mundane first and then you kind of look at any magical avenues that could possibly open yourself up as well. You know, you you have to put in the work. I'm not going to get a new job just by casting spells and wishing and hoping and praying. I've got to send up my CVs. I've got to go visit other people. I've got to network, you know, and I think bringing it back, that would be ethical. And I think that's that's the right thing to do. But yeah, I, I suppose I'm talking in circles right now. But yeah, I think it's definitely based on um on subjectivity. I think in addition to like your own personal background and thought process, we should note that sometimes different covens or different lines or whatever will influence some of these things, right? Like, <clears throat> because a lot of what we learn in witchcraft, especially depending on how experienced you were when you came into traditional Wicca, is going to be influenced by what your coven tells you. So if you have a high priestess who says, oh, love spells are bad, then you learn love spells are bad. And if you have a high priestess who's like, actually, like, I feel there's some nuance there, then you learn to think more about the nuances of that situation, right? Something else that I think raises this idea of like subjective, objective ethics and the fact that humans are super fallible is my experience with the Eastern Star. So I'm an, a member of the Eastern, the Order of the Eastern Star, which for those who don't know, is an order that was founded for the wives and daughters of Masons to do charitable work back in like the 1800s. Um, I have I have a lot of issues with Eastern Star, so I'm, I'm actually not here to talk it up. But what I will say is when I joined my lodge, they said, you know, we do not talk about politics here and we do not talk about religion here. And I was like, great. That's probably good because y'all are like 50 years older than I am. And I suspect if we talked about those things, we would have some some controversies. It turned out that that rule um, was not accurate, right? So even though there is a longstanding rule in Masonic Lodges and Eastern Star Lodges that you don't talk politics or religion at all, that does not that is not a rule that is actually followed. People talk politics and religion all the fucking time. And so it's very uncomfortable. So this is an example of like where the objective rules that are in place versus people's like subjective implementation of those rules is really different. Um, 
And that's very frustrating, I think, when you encounter those situations. Do you know what? I can I can get on board with that. If if there's a rule, then it's in place for a reason. And if you're going to put a rule into place, then you as the person creating that rule need to kind of enforce it and follow it. You know, there's there's no point in making a rule and then not following it because you might as well just not have that rule there. You know, in education, we have so many rules. you like... You know, don't talk when the teacher's talking, no running in the corridors and blah, blah, blah. But then if you've got those rules and then you see a, a kid zooming past you and you just kind of let it go, you're reinforcing that actually that rule is not important. And if it therefore isn't important, then why why even have it in like a policy in the first place? You know, kind of going back to that, that love spell idea. If you've got a high priestess that says love spell's bad, but then somebody else says love spell's good, you know, we're where do you draw that line? Where do you draw the line between enforcing rules and just having rules for the sake of them being there? I'm just reminded as well, really quickly, sorry, Josie, about like when they were, I say all, maybe there was maybe a group of 10 worldwide that was like, oh yeah, let's, let's hex Trump. And then a couple of months later, it's like, oh, let's hex the Faye, let's hex the moon. And I'm like, oh, God, why? Stop. You're giving us a bad name, TikTok witches. <laughs> Um, what you were saying before, Peter, about setting a rule and then like as leaders having to be responsible for that rule, I really, I got to thinking about, um, and like as teachers, some of us will understand this, but we talk about modelling, um, so modelling the right behaviour. Um, and I think our morals and ethics certainly play into that as coven leaders. You really need your talk all the time. Yeah, definitely. Like if one, like one of our rules within the coven is that you have to show up by it's like 7 30 and if if you're late and you don't tell anybody then i think that's just quite dis- distasteful as well you know there's things that we got to do before ritual there's like pre-talks there's setting up of temple and and, and xyz but you know the rule the rule is this the rule is you you turn up by 7 30 at the latest and then you know if if i'm the late one as a coven leader it just looks like that there's one rule for for somebody and another rule for somebody else kind of thing and yeah you know you as as coven leaders you model also in coven and in circle how you want your initiates to to behave and and what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing so i think you know modeling within within a, a circle space within a btw space does come back to that you know your subjectivity-ness if i'm going to coin a word there it's it's important that we do walk the walk and talk the talk kind of thing yeah, even with Seekers, um, a million years ago when we did our Seekers episode, um, we talked about the expectations that we have of Seekers and that we clearly communicate. But as coven leaders, we all then need to, you know, step up and, and model those things. If we ask people to communicate in a timely way, then we need to do that as well. So if we don't uh, universally define ethics uh, from some outside source, how do we as coven leaders then create what the standard is so that we can model it for our coven to follow. Um, so I think that's that's the big question of how do we actually do this? Again, I think a lot of it is definitely subjective because, you know, we want to be better teachers than our teachers, right? We we want to make sure that that we don't fall into the same four paths that our teachers did. So I think when you're when you're in a group set in a coven setting, you're always going to think back to, oh yeah, you know, we we did it this way, but now we want to do it this way. Or, oh, yeah, you know, we did this ritual this way last year. 
this didn't go as well. So, you know, you develop it, you move forward with it. And and for me, it's always going to be about, okay, how did previous leaders lead this coven? And how kind of do I want to lead this coven? Or, you know, how how am I going to set about this so that it's, it's more effective and we can kind of continue and grow as as a coven, as individuals within a coven as well? I think it, it is really subjective because, again, you're always going to want to be better than the teachers that kind of taught you. I, I mean, I don't disagree that often when you run off to start your own coven, like you're, it happens, people tend to hive because they're like, okay, like I have my own ideas about how I want to teach this or I have my own ways about how I want to do this. And, and that's why people hive and that's why hiving exists so that you don't end up with too many cooks in the kitchen. But um, I'm not sure if I, how much I agree with it with ethics. I think that's, I'm not sure that that's sort of as universal an experience. Like I don't, my high priestess and I have really similar ethics. Um, and I think it's interesting the way that she's sort of influenced my ethics from when I was like 18, because she was um, an advisor of mine in college when I was like 18 and came in sort of like clutching my pearls about smoking marijuana to like where I am now about like, yeah, like dancing naked in a circle under the full moon. Like that seems perfectly reasonable. And how I find that it's, influencing how I interact with my seekers and initiates now because I don't think about things that they clutch their pearls over which to me now seem perfectly normal so it's just kind of funny the way that like I think our own ethics and morality shifts as we go as we become more Wiccan our understanding of like what's weird and what's deviant I think changes as we sort of escape our programming and move into like this alternative place where there are a lot of people with alternative ideas, um, alternative values, alternative lifestyles. But I do think like what sets, if we're talking really about morals, right, and ethics, and which I will right now just say like things that can harm people, then I do think that that is influenced by coven leadership. It's difficult, isn't it? Because we will like, there are, again, there's universally accepted what is harm. But when it comes to the nuances, that's when it becomes really, really difficult. Because, again, harm to one person might be healed to another person and vice versa. I would like to give um, an example of this. I think many of us come from probably Christian-esque backgrounds. And in Christianity, death is a really horrible thing um, for a variety of reasons. And in Wicca... Many Wiccans who I've interacted with and meet would agree that suffering is actually a really horrible thing and death is actually not all that bad, right? And so where death exists to end suffering, most of us are sort of fine with that. And I think healing is a really good example of this, right? A lot of times I think when people pray for healing, um, they're praying for someone to get better. And when at least in my line when we pray or do spell work or magic or whatever for healing, we usually say like the the outcome that creates the least amount of suffering or like the best possible outcome, because sometimes that's death, right? Sometimes not living for another two years in extreme pain is the better outcome. And so I do think that's a much more quote unquote pagan or like Wiccan um, sense of of ethics yeah i would like to say that and you know when we work witchcraft and magic we are trying to tip the scales and the balance ever so slightly in our favor but if if ours is kind of going up 
and it is a balance, then somewhere somebody might be going down. And that might, you, you like, you've really got to think when you're creating witchcraft, when you're working witchcraft and magic, how is this going to pan out? And I think if you're new into witchcraft and wicca, you kind of want to do all the spells, all the magic, all the witchcraft. And if you don't have kind of a moral compass within you or a set of ethics which are going to guide you, you might you might do something and then years later look back and laugh and think, ah, oh, why did I do that? That was that was ridiculous. Like that was so stupid. But again, it's difficult because we're talking about a set of guidelines which is really really personal, which are completely different from one person to the next. So for me, um, one of the things we look at in our process of discussing things with seekers is what are their values? If I can understand their values, I can better understand whether or not um, they're compatible with our group. And that's that's important because group compatibility is, is important. But from that, you kind of get uh, a group idea of what group values are. Um, we don't go quite as far as some covens do and write out a coven charter or write out uh, specific uh, guidelines on ethics or things like that. Um, just because that's not our approach, but that is how some covens approach this, this question is they write out a list. Here's do's and don'ts. Here's our rules. Here's our ethics, etc. And then although the Wicca as a whole don't have that list, there are covens that do. Um, and with that, I've also seen it common for some covens to approach that by emphasizing certain virtues. Um, I've seen people pick the ones out in the charge um, when they're talking about, you know, this and that during that litany, and there's six of them. And then uh, I've seen beauty and strength. I've seen other snippets pulled from our litany where things are mentioned, and then they use that to create a list of virtues. Um, that can start by creating a, a guidepost to go towards, I think. But then defining that is, is takes a lot of personal work. If one of them was a compassion, well, that could mean a whole world of, of things. Yeah, we, we have a coven charter within our coven, but our coven charter is really more, more to do with like common courtesies about like when you arrive and, you know, like be on time, you know, remember to bring this and remember to bring that. And I think for us, it was important that we set out a list of like guidelines and rules so that we could hold ourselves accountable as coven leaders and kind of model that behavior that we want to see within our initiates that, that, that we think are more morally and, and ethically correct and right. But our coven charter is specific to us in in our area in our in our practice where we're at and i think it's important that if groups are gonna put down in writing what they feel is important that it is looked at often and that it is updated as the coven changes and the coven evolves and grows and that also everybody is a part of of that discussion because you know if we're if one day we're saying love spells bad and then all of a sudden we're all practicing love spells or money spells then somebody could turn around and say oh but actually look in the in the coven charter it says this so i think that it's important that that these like rules and guidelines and regulations are not just set in stone and stagnant that they're 
that that they can be looked at and they can be updated depending on where the coven is at at, at that particular time as well. Yeah, to reference back our um, egregores episode, kind of, the coven egregores shifts as people join and leave the coven, right? And I was having a chat with some of my first degrees last night, sort of casually, and one of them pointed out that our coven egregore has shifted in a way that, not that I hadn't noticed, I guess, but I hadn't really specifically outlined. Um, And I think it's really important as coven leaders that we do pay more attention to those things than I think I sort of have been because I thought, well, we just started. We only have a few people like obviously the coven egregore is going to be like what we as the high priest and high priestess said it as. But like, no, the personalities of our new initiates have really shifted um, the way that our coven feels about certain things and the way that we sort of interact with with the larger family and things like that. And so values in your coven certainly can shift. I don't know then like, yes, you may then find that like some of these more subjective morals are shifting also. Right. Um, I think the concern would be like, if you find some of the universal things shifting, then there needs to be a really big check. Um, So earlier I briefly mentioned uh, that ethics can be situational. You know, I gave the example of theft where in the particular instance I give, I am anti-theft, but that particular value was outweighed by one of my other values in that particular situation where I'm like, well, they're hungry, so they need to eat. Um, I think it is important to, to keep this kind of thing in mind when you're looking at ethics, that since ethics are not universal, they're not black and white, they're not objective, and our values are complex, it's hard to make those concrete ethical guidelines. So they're very much situational. Yeah, and to kind of talk about, again, that minefield of, of, of harming, you know, if if something, if you deem something bad is happening that it, that is unethical and, and not nice, you know, your, your, main, your main ethic, your main value might be not to harm somebody. But then if somebody is doing something that you deem unethical and, and you decide based on your ethics and your morals that yes, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work magic and I'm gonna work witchcraft, then again that's that's a situational change, isn't it? Because your main your main value is no no harm. But then there's this person that is causing harm. So do you work magic against them to kind of stop them doing what what they're doing? I think a lot of our ethics and values will definitely change depending on what the situation is. That very much ties into my exact next note, which is called paying the coin. <laughs> um, paying the coins, that idea of I know that this doesn't fit my definition perfectly, but there are other values involved. I'm going to pay the coin and deal with it. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think and many of us start out as sort of like love and light and like, I don't do painful magic. And then we grow up and experience life in such a way that situations change our perspective on these things. And somebody is cruel to somebody else that we love, or, you know, we see like people doing really cruel, harmful things. And we feel that actually, in addition to mundane things, I do have these magical tools. And I, it, I think it's ethical for me to use all of the tools in my toolkit to do what I can to stop cruelty. And I'm willing to accept the consequences of my actions if, the universe decides that I need to have consequences or if there are natural consequences that may come about. 
you know, with with every action, there's a reaction, right? And as witches and and initiates, we have to accept that if we are going to do something, then whatever the whatever the, the the consequences are, maybe the karmic consequences, then we just accept those. Like we know that if we do something and it causes change, whether that change is permanent or not, we have to we have to accept that there might be some consequences that we don't like. But if if we can okay that with with our moral compass, then then that's fine. But I think I think you're right, G, like we we all grow up really quickly when we start practicing witchcraft and magic and initiatory work. Um we grow up really quickly because, you know, there's always there's always going to be some sort of trade-off. You've always, like James has said, you've always got to pay the coin. And as long as you know that, and as long as you accept that, if you can clear it with your conscience, then yeah, go for it. I think it just comes down to being discerning, you know. Uh, you're not going to just willy-nilly cast spells left and right. I know there are people that do, but the Wicca tend to, I'm using the word tend, um, emphasize, tend to be more discerning with the way we approach magic. And, and I'm not talking individually. Um, I'm talking about from, from a coven because our practice, our shared practice is a coven-based practice. So generally the rest of the coven acts as checks and balances for the rest of the coven. Um, but again, I'm using the word tend and I'm saying generalized and usually and should and all these qualifiers because not always. So we've been kind of all over the place, subjective, not subjective, uh, situational, paying the coin, etc. So it really boils down to how do we as an individual develop our own personal ethical yardstick? Um, and for me, I think it starts with introspection, self-reflection. Then I take whatever that idea is I land on. I write it out. And then it needs to be pressure test. Under what situations does this apply? What does it not? And although um, I'm not going to find every situation that exists, I can look at it well enough that I better understand where my own ethics fall. And that's my kind of approach to that. Um, but you got to define it in order to measure it. Yeah, I think it would be a good exercise for current practitioners and practitioners who maybe haven't done this very recently is to you know kind of sit down either as 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 you as one person or with the coven and kind of think right so as a coven what are our ethics what are our goals and as an individual do these ethics align to the coven ethics align with with my worldview i think that's that's a really good um that's a really good example james with the with the pressure test as well you know i've i've, I've got this where does this apply where doesn't this apply? And I think if you have in like the, it doesn't apply here column, if there's more in that, then you possibly need to reevaluate that, that ethic and that kind of, you know, that, that rule kind of thing. Yeah. You can find strength in some differences that you have with people, but ideally in a covered situation, you want a lot more overlap. And I think you're right, Peter. I think it would be valuable to revisit that, even if you've been in a covered for a while and really consciously unpack that. I know we previously had an episode on what makes people proper person, properly prepared, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you sit down as a coven and you do that exercise and you make a big Venn diagram and you have the overlapping circle 
congratulations, you've kind of defined what you think a proper person is as a group. It won't be wholeheartedly universal, but it's the, the general ballpark. Um, on the more universal side of the Wicca, we talk about that a lot, and it's very much built into um, morality and ethics and making sure someone who is a proper person is being led in the door. So proper personhood was the first thing I thought of when we started this episode, and then I saw it way down the list for our plans. I'm like, I'm going to sit on all this. So I have a couple of things. Um, the first is proper person. We've talked and we we did this like a thousand million years ago in the first couple of episodes, I think, and we talked about proper person versus being properly prepared um, and how when people sometimes ask for a vouch, we can vouch for somebody and say, yes, we, this person is initiated, but we're not going to say that they're a proper person. And that idea of a proper person, just like morality, I guess, is very personal. And my idea of a proper person is not necessarily going to be the same as the next Wiccan sitting next to me, but I would hope that they, were, they are similar. Um, but the way, yeah, nope, sorry, it's gone. Give me a second, talk about something else for a second. I think proper personhood is is really interesting because to kind of bring it back to that, we don't talk about religion and we don't talk about politics. You know, if there is a seeker or an initiate who has completely opposing views to mine politically or ethically, then that brings in a dilemma for me from a proper person point of view. If If I'm saying, yeah, you know, Trump is bad, and then there's somebody in the cabinet that's like, yeah, Trump is good. I don't know whether or not I could be within that circle with perfect love and perfect trust. And I think that that links to what I feel is is part of being a, a proper person. You know, do your values and your ethics align with mine? And unfortunately, if you're a seeker and your ethics and your values don't align more than not, then you're probably not going to get get into the the coven where I'm a leader. That's not necessarily to say that you won't get into any coven whatsoever, because you know every coven is autonomous and they will have their own you know their own kind of check checklist air quotes for for getting in. But I I think you know being a being a proper person is again also quite subjective. But I think there are certain universal truths air quotes again lots of air quotes this this podcast guys um i think there are a, a very few objective um additions to what a proper person is and i think again that just boils down to the fact that every coven is autonomous and every coven will set out their ways of getting in or or getting out or, or whatever but i think also the idea of a proper person is also very subjective it's subjective, but it's absolute. That's what I was going to say earlier. So for your coven, someone's either a proper person or they aren't. It's a bit like, and we talked about love and trust a long time ago, love and trust, these are absolute qualities. You have them, you don't. Whereas your morals can be subjective and subject to change and all of these. Someone's either a proper person or they aren't, but that's only for your coven. And yeah, they could go to the coven down the road where, you know, they love kicking puppies, puppy kicking's your thing. I would hope that, yeah, yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing as James. I hope that nearly every, well, I hope that not nearly every, but every coven out there will now go off and think, do you know, we need to write that down somewhere. Like, we do not kick puppies. 
we do not kick cats. You know, we don't harm the animals, kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I I'm only gonna uh, caveat on a little bit on the proper person bit to add in that not every one who is initiated the Wicca defines proper person based on morality or ethics. Some people say, well, proper person equals initiate. Like I have run across these people, and that is the way they teach it. You're an initiate. You are a proper person. That is that is their baseline. To those people, proper person is defined as somebody who's initiated. They don't. They're not making any ethical or value judgments on those person. I want right. to be. I want to be clear. They don't yes. think every initiate is proper person in the way that we mean colloquially. They mean capital P, capital P, proper person in British traditional Wicca. They personally define as having been initiated the correct way. Yes. Just like that. Um, so I'm just making sure that we, we make that note that when we were talking about it this time, although we are including morality and ethics, not everyone does. So does anyone else have anything else they want to say on proper person? Maybe. Sorry. I don't know. This might be too far from the thing. But when you ask for a vouch for somebody and you get told they are an initiate but not a proper person, I think it's always worth asking politely why that person has made that judgment yeah that's a really good um that's a really good point i also find it kind of difficult because i i feel very torn i think between folks who are either like i don't want to get involved in the drama or i don't want to you know be involved in any sort of like back talking um, and seekers who are also really frustrated by drama that they see in the community, which, you know, it, because we're groups of people, we have drama, of course we do. Um, and answering that question quite honestly, which I think people do deserve an answer, like, well, why would you say that? You know, and um, I think sometimes it's really hard to answer that question without without airing dirty laundry. Right. But I also think dirty laundry needs to be aired sometimes. So I just I just sort of maybe I'm saying this to like put a caveat out for seekers like, look, just because somebody's willing to tell you these are our experiences or we know that this person does not, you know, for me, I think somebody who is homophobic or transphobic is not a proper person. But you, you know, are welcome to reach out to them and make your own determinations. I would probably be open to saying that um and sometimes i feel like that's simple and sometimes it's like well there's a lot of dirt in the community i really can't tell you about but fyi so i think it's always important to say like i don't hold this person to be a proper person here's as much detail as i can give you or maybe just go google about it or um you know but i would encourage you to reach out to others in the community to get other perspectives as well because of course nothing is universal. And I just think it's always important for seekers to understand we're not necessarily trying to talk shit, um, although some people are, or start drama. Sometimes it's just trying to like be honest about our personal perspectives, and they are personal. So you should feel free to get multiple opinions. Well, and I think like educating seekers and making sure seekers have as much information as I can give them is part of my kind of moral stuff. So yeah, you're back to like morals, drama. So about the read. I think the language teacher in me, because I get it in every episode, just wants to kind of pick at the and it harm then do what ye will. Now, the first thing is that the and bit is like old English, middle English. I never I'm never really sure which one it is, but it's not an and, it's an 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 for if. So that kind of explains not like and if you harm then, do whatever you want, but if you do harm then, then do as do as you will do as you want and 
I think it's important to maybe look at the history of of where this came from because this this isn't necessarily just a purely Wiccan like Neo Wicca or BTW Wicca thing. There is history that goes along with this, like where it came from. And if you're doing your research, you you will undoubtedly come across Crowley, Alistair Crowley, where his his kind of taking air quotes on it was and it do what you will, love under will, love is the law. I think I might be paraphrasing that ever so slightly. And I suppose his again, air quotes expanded version of that talks about your craft is coming from what you love doing. And that 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 place of love drives that magic, drives that witchcraft, drives those practices. So I think it's important that we don't just look at that tiny, tiny snippet, but look at other varying opinions about where this kind of relates to our craft and, and what we do with it. I mean, for me, the reed doesn't doesn't really play a huge part in my craft and in my witchcraft. Yes, it's there, and yes, there are nods to it within training and like the long the long version is a lovely piece of prose it's a lovely piece of poetry and there are there are different versions as well but yeah I don't have a lot to say about the read just just because it 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 just doesn't play a huge part in in my witchcraft and in my craft you know I this whole conversation has been really interesting and sometimes I think I oversimplify my ideas and my views because I'm just of the opinion that you you want to do that I wouldn't do it but if you can clear it with your conscience then you go ahead and I think like the only time that the the read really irks me is and and I, I don't see this happening often anymore neither but you know when somebody will say something about you know they will do this bit of magic and then somebody pops up oh you can't because of the read well not everybody subscribes to the read you know what do we mean when we when we say the read are we talking about the long version or are we just talking about the and it hum and do do what you will and and i think for me a lot of it had to do with that growing up i realized quite quickly that at least the wicker that i've experienced the read doesn't really come into it it doesn't play a, a, a huge role in in how i work magic and witchcraft but again you know your your mileage may vary as um as Josie just kind of pointed towards you know if if you are a very moral and again that's subjective a very moral person I mean how do you how do you live if if you're gonna take and it harm and do what you will to the to the nth degree you know like you'd never get anything done so you know where 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 do we draw the boundary where do we draw the line oh yeah this this is harmful and this is not you know if if I'm if I'm shopping around for insurance and I find a cheaper deal, does that mean I'm taking money away technically from a different corporation? Is that going to affect them? Is that is that harmful? I, I don't know. You know, so, yeah, I don't really have a lot to say for this part of the podcast. I can agree and disagree with other people's opinions. <laughs> but personally, the read just doesn't play a, a, a big enough part in my in my wicker for me to have any massive thoughts and feelings on it. I think where the sh- usefulness of the read lies is as a personal check, right? And because I do think most of us are disinclined to hurt other people without cause, without just cause. And I'm I'm adding that caveat because I think it's an important caveat, right? Like 
if somebody's trying to mug me, I have no problem kicking them in the shin, but I don't intend to run up to random people and kick them. That's rude. And so I do think the read is a good personal check and maybe exists as a sort of, you know, way in Wicca for us to find um, an easy rule for, for morals and, and or ethics. I'm still struggling with differences there, but you know, okay, I'm, I want to do this spell work or I want to take this action. Is it going to hurt anybody? Possibly. Yes. Okay. Is that justified or am I willing to accept the consequences of that action? Right. Um, if the answer is yes, then fine. If the answer is no, then go full force. And I do think that's the thing, right? Like if it harms none, do whatever you want. Like we don't care about your sex life. We don't care about what you eat. We don't care about what you wear, right? As long as you're not hurting anybody, we don't have a whole lot of rules about how you live your life. You don't have to think about all of those things. You can live your life how you want if it's not harming anybody else. And so I do think that it assigns us a certain amount of freedom because we don't have a set of 10 laws, you know. I like to think, though, that none of us came to Wicca and heard about the read and were like, oh, harm none. Like, I don't think it's something that would have changed people's lives necessarily. I would hope not. I think, I truly think where the value in Armand lies is in giving people who are very nervous about witches something. You can sort of like pull out the harm none card and be like, no, no, look, we have a rule. It makes us sound super nice. Don't That's worry. Fine. Don't burn yeah. us. It's like a reverse card. Unless you read Bam. the thing. At which point, grammatically, it doesn't actually say not to harm people. It just says that if it doesn't harm people, don't worry about it. Oh, oh, I sorry, I said that part out loud. Uh, oh, and the word read means suggestion. So, given that, what about this threefold business? We hear that one a lot um, when the conversation of ethics comes up in online spaces, particularly outside of initiate circles. Um, I think it's a gross misinterpretation and that the threefold law actually doesn't really much deal with ethics or morality at all. I've encountered in two different ways in initiate circles and it's not about that. So one one of those is metaphysics. Um, It's that whole idea of things take place in three phases on three levels of being, send it out, manifest comes back and that can happen mentally, physically or um, emotionally, spiritually kind of thing. And so you get three by three, threefold. I've encountered that one. Um, and I've also encountered the one where um, a witch's dishes out threefold whatever they receive. And that's not necessarily based on ethics or kindness or hate or whatever, just that you get three times from them what they receive. I've encountered both those. Yeah, I think this is the one that crops up a lot within like um, non-BTW spaces. It's, oh, you know, if if you're new into witchcraft and Wicca, it's one of the, the first things that you'll find about, oh, you know, the, the the threefold law, you know, well, that's not a universal thing. That's I think that's really important to point out. But also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm almost certain that when, when like, um, if you're coming in, if you come into the threefold law, I would say most people have come at it or or, or they found it via what Gardner said and, and how he interpreted it. And I'm almost certain that what what Gardner actually said was if you are if you are if somebody does good to you, 
you are duty bound to return that good threefold. I think I think that's that's where it came from. I think that's what he actually said. You know, which is drastically different to you know if you send out bad energy or bad juju, it's going to come back to you three times as more powerful, three times as worse. You know, I I don't subscribe to that. I subscribe to taking the consequences. If if you're gonna if you're gonna send something out, something is gonna come back. Whatever that is, is whatever that consequence is, is you have to um accept that. You know, I'm not gonna say that if I send out bad energy, what's bad energy? That's that's an, another topic. It's gonna come back threefold. It's if you are doing something and as a witch, at least from what Gardner said, you're kind of duty air quotes duty bound to send out that good back three times whether that's do it three times or whether it's back more powerful three times is open to interpretation as well i i think i think these these two things like the read and the threefold law is it is what gives us like our kind of very beginning early ethics and moral compasses as new witches like most of us will find out about witchcraft and wicca and we will do some sort of googling and some sort of research and then we might go down the path of seeking out initiates and 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 hopefully becoming an initiate of a coven of a BTW coven, but yeah, you know, it's it, these two things are just banded around the place, along with the same people that send out love and light all the time, and I'm just like yuck. It gives me. The Can ick. I ask? Were we all teen witches? Yes. Oh yeah. 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 For so sure. how many of you as as teen witches was all over the raid or the threefold law? Oh yeah. And unashamedly, yeah. I say yeah, and I would have been like, "Oh no, you can't, you can't do that because it's going to come back three times." And you know, the Wiccan read it says, mm. "And harm ye none." Do what I think well. it was in my first book of shadows, which was yeah. pink. That's yeah. adorable. So I'm in a different boat. So yes, teen pagan, all that. However, second generation pagan. My dad converted right about the time of my birth um, to contemporary paganism, not necessarily the Wicca, and so. My teen years were involved with the Church of Yannon, whom is not of the Wicca, and it was much less of an influence there, so it was much less of an influence on me. So, yeah, there's that. I do want to talk about why there's criticism against the Threefold Law and Harm None, right? Because they feel like really innocuous, nice things, so why do people get really upset about it? Besides the fact that they're unrealistic, um standards to set for yourself as we talked about with harm none there's a very valid criticism that these exist as a way to like punish people who maybe would want to do magic against their abusers right or want to do spell work to get away from um a harmful situation or who maybe do want to take justified revenge against somebody for who hurt them and oftentimes like in those cases let's you know for example let's say one partner was abused and they want to do some sort of consequences or hex baneful magic against their abuser um because the justice system has failed them and you know whatever which happens all the time people will pull out the threefold law or pull out harm none and be like no you can't because as wiccans like we don't hurt anybody i don't think there's anything inherently wrong with wanting somebody who caused you to suffer to to suffer in turn and understand consequences of that. Um, and we know that the legal system doesn't always get that for us. So I do want to point out that criticism. It, it 100% is for sure used to police other people as if they were universal, objective, 
code of ethics. But that's not the way the Wicca approaches things. So I get it, especially if you're coming from a religious background that is orthodox, where those things are built into the very fabric and foundation of what the the religion uh, preaches as universal truth. But we don't. So it doesn't play as much of a role. And when we see it, it it stabs. And I'm like, what are you doing? Stop stop using what is a suggestion or a, a good piece of information to think about as if it was a boundary that thou shalt not cross. Yeah, I was just going to say it's um, always just as problematic when other people do it to when we see Wiccans starting to use our own liturgy and our own material to control other people. It's a, definitely an orange flag, if not a red flag for me. The whole purpose of the read is to be freeing. It's telling you not to worry about those things that are harmless. It doesn't say to worry or not about the harmful. You, sh- you should. You should think about it, discern it, figure out what you're going to do, etc. But it frees up so much. So stop using it as a cage. So I think that about brings us to the end of this episode. Um, today we talked about a whole lot of things. Morality, ethics, things being virtue-based, situational, paint the coin, um, how to look at your own personal ethics, as well as being a proper person, the read, threefold law. Um, and at the end of the day, all we can really say is there's no really universally defined code of ethics, that it is deeply deeply personal and within the wicca you can find anything that ranges from love and light to fuck around and find out so thank you for listening as a reminder you can find us on instagram and facebook as circle talk for witches that's four as in the number four twitter has circle for witches or email us at circle talk for witches at gmail.com if you have any questions queries thoughts or ideas for future discussions please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. From all of us at Circle Talk, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet again.